0: This week, we have an expert on the uh, podcast, uh, take a shower, show up on time, and don't steal anything. We're going to kind of dive right into this one because uh, he is so interesting. His name is Andrew Sawyer, L-A-D-C, and I thought we'd just get a different perspective. Uh, Here is an expert who does a lot of drug and alcohol counseling, and he works for the Department of Corrections, and he's got an extensive background and a lot of experience, and he's just a super easy, cool guy to talk to. Uh, So let's dive in right now. And at the end of his um, conversation, we're going to kind of wrap up with a couple of emails and we're going to wrap up with a couple of other things that he might have covered and uh, links on the website and Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm excited because Andrew was awesome. Let's dive right in. This week on Take a Shower, Show Up on Time and Don't Steal Anything as the series about drinking continues. Here's Andrew. We are talking with Andrew Sawyer, who is a drug and alcohol counselor and before we get into Andrew's background, Andrew just told me something really interesting before we started rolling recording, is you've never had a drink before. That is correct. I think I took a sip of alcohol when I was
1: about eight or nine, uh, and I spit it out. I didn't like it. So
0: That's so interesting, because uh, you went through your teen years, and your peer pressure, and your college years, and you went to college, and you were in your party years, and you were 21, and all that why did alcohol never, you just, you just said, no, gross, not interested.
1: Yeah. So when I was younger, um, there wasn't much drinking in my house. Nobody in my family is in recovery, but my dad didn't drink. Um, and then my mom drank a little bit, but there was never alcohol kept in the house. So I didn't see a lot of alcohol use growing up. And when I did, I was younger and I would see the neighborhood people and I just kind of thought they acted a little goofy when they were drinking. So I just, uh, I think, my brother also doesn't drink, and has only drank maybe twice in his life. So not growing up where alcohol was a norm in the house really prevented both of us. But when I was younger, I found something called Straight Edge, which is like a punk rock thing. Uh, and in that movement, people don't drink or do drugs or anything like that. And so, yeah, it also helped that the friends that I had, they, they drank and did drugs when I was younger, skateboarding and stuff, but there
0: was no peer pressure. Um,
1: yeah, I'd say no and they'd move on. And yeah, it was just uh, something I never did. I was never interested in it.
0: I find that so interesting because one of the recurring themes on our podcast is people talk about how alcohol is everywhere and the, the, um, social aspect of alcohol is everywhere. Hey, you go to your neighbor's. You go to, you know, you're going to have a a little happy hour with your friends or you're going out to drinks or you go to a, a work party and there's cocktails and and you go to dinner and they bring you bring you the wine list. I mean, alcohol is everywhere and it's so socially accepted. I admire you and I'm impressed and a little bit surprised uh, but in a good way that you've never drank before but as you are now it's interesting if because you never drink and you have never had a problem with people in your life and your family that drank what got you interested in in helping people because this is you are educated i think you said you have a a masters degree um in 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 uh, helping people what inspired you to want to help people
1: yeah so actually it was when i was younger um i was in college i got a history degree uh, my friend was dating a girl who was also straight edge and she was going to school for addiction counseling. I kind of logged that into the back of my mind as that's a really cool thing, you know, because I always wanted to help people get sober. Uh, my mind has kind of changed since then as I learned more about addiction or, um, which is commonly known as substance use disorders. <clears throat> so my mind has kind of changed a little bit, but at the time I logged that as cool. I kind of finished college and I didn't have a lot of options. I was working at a shoe store uh, I had worked with at a, pet hotel for a little bit and I decided to uh, look into master's programs for addiction counseling and uh, that's what got me to Minnesota. I went to the Hazelden, uh, it's now Hazelden Betty Ford Graduate School of Addiction Studies, but at the time uh, we hadn't merged with Betty Ford yet.
0: Wow, that's so impressive. So let's, di- let's dive in and let's get right to some practical knowledge here. So we got a little bit of your background. We're going to cover some of that more in a little bit here because you know, like I said, it, it's it's interesting to talk to people who have the issues, but to talk to somebody who has got a completely different perspective and is an expert on uh, helping people. Let's dive right in. Let me ask you a question: Why do so many people try to stop and fail? It's addiction, but why is my friend? Um, uh, uh, like, for example, I had on a couple of weeks ago, Sarah, why is she able to stop? Why is Jess able to stop and other people are not able to stop? Is there a simple answer to that, Andrew? There really isn't. Uh, there's
1: ugh, substance use and we'll talk since we're talking about alcohol is so multifaceted, um, you know, mental health can play a role in it, uh, though it's not the only answer. Not everybody who has drinking or drug problems has mental, mental health issues. Um, it could be, you know, past trauma uh, it could be just really enjoying drinking. Um, I think that a lot of people we find drink because maybe there's like a type of connection, like alcohol makes them feel something maybe they're missing in life with connections. Um, it's hard to hard to really say. I mean, it really comes down to the person and their interaction with,
0: with alcohol or drugs. That's a really interesting answer because there are people who say, You know, uh, I mean, I I admitted that uh, that a few years ago I had something really traumatic happen in my life and it really helped me get to sleep at night and forget about it for a few hours. It was it was a very effective way to feel better. But three hours later, when you sobered up, it was it was worse than it was before. I want to ask you this one because so many people wonder this one, Andrew, how do you know, again, there might not be one answer, how do you know when you have a problem? You can go from like having a glass of wine three nights a week to having three glasses of wine every night of the week, but how do you know when you have a problem? Yeah,
1: so if we look at alcoholism or what we call in the field substance use disorder, which is referred to as addiction, you have to meet a set of 11 criteria to really qualify as somebody who has a use disorder. Oh really, okay. Yeah, um, and so the main point is looking at a level of dysfunction in your life as a result of the drinking. And the dysfunction can come into multiple categories. So it's um, amount used, like are you using more than you intend to? Have you tried to quit and you're having trouble quitting? Um, Do you have cravings frequently to use when you're not using? Um, And do you spend a lot of time planning around using or obtaining the use or recovering from the use. That's the first, you know, four four sections there. Okay. Then we get into the psychosocial uh problems. That's looking at like are you having job dysfunction? Is your family expressing concern for your use? Um are you skipping events because you're using? Are you missing out on like holidays and stuff? Are you f- spending a lot of time picking places to go that you know you can drink Um, so that's that area Um, are you falling behind at school are you getting kicked out of school are you getting reprimanded at work and then the last area we're looking at is the medical area Uh, or so that's looking at things like has a doctor told you you have a problem with drinking um, and you need to quit Um, is it increasing your mental health? And you continue to do that. Uh, then you look at things like tolerance. Did it take, did you used to get drunk off two drinks? Now it takes four or five. And then lastly, withdrawal. Now, withdrawal doesn't mean that you have a drinking problem. I drink caffeine all the time. If I were to quit drinking caffeine, I would have withdrawal effects. Um, so I recently quit caffeine for 70 days and the first few days I had headaches Uh, I was groggy and tired, and then they wore off gradually. I don't consider myself a caffeine uh, addict, to use that term loosely. Okay, sure. So, and then the last one I forgot in there was hazardous. Have you put yourself in dangerous situations, driving drunk, driving with the kids drunk, um, passing out in unhelpful places if you're drinking, like places you're not familiar with, things like that?
0: I'm going to ask you at the end of this podcast, because this is so valuable, and I know a lot of people are going, wait, what was number four? What was number seven? If there is a place where I can go to find a link and I'll put this on our Facebook page uh, because there is a take a shower show up on time and don't steal anything Facebook page. I just haven't updated it in a very long time. Is this list available online if I wanted to link it on there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You could just Google criteria for substance use disorder, um, or it's found in the DSM book, which is the diagnostic manual that we use to diagnose substance use disorders. And so diagnosing, it's pretty tricky, too, because it's mostly self-report. And um, people, you know, you have two or three criteria, you have a mild use disorder disorder. Uh, three to four or five, you have a moderate and, uh, then the last six or more, you have a severe use disorder and people, as you can tell, kind of fade through these, like a lot of college kids would meet criteria for substance use disorder from drinking just because they drink a lot in college, they might miss classes. So it really just comes down to the level of negative impact it's having on your life. And that can be in multiple categories.
0: So, for example, the kid that, uh, you know, has to go to detox over at HCMC because they got drunk at a, at a gopher's party, that doesn't mean that they have a problem. That just means, I mean, yeah, they got sick. Their friends are worried about them. They miss class. They got a couple of these points, but a lot of the time it's just an isolated case or no.
1: Correct. Yeah. I mean, if it's if it's an isolated case, then you know they might have drank too much uh, at that time, and they go about their life, and they pay their bills, they you know have have families, they show up to work on time, you know they're not they're not drinking in the morning to function. Then they're probably not an alcoholic. I mean, the the idea of a functioning alcoholic doesn't really exist because in order to be an alcoholic, you have to have a level of dysfunction in your life. That is really interesting
0: because I've heard so many people and I know you probably have too, say I am, or I was a functioning alcoholic and in your opinion or your, your, your experience, there's really no such thing.
1: No, I don't believe so. Because if you're, if, if you're an alcoholic, there's a level of dysfunction. I believe we've watered down the term addict and alcoholic a lot. We we see it a lot. Um, I'm a, I'm a, sugar addict and things like that. So I do think, I do think it loses its meaning
0: at times. Gotcha. Yeah. It's like when people say I'm a workaholic or when they say I'm addicted to anime or I'm addicted to, you know, this show, then addict it gets watered down. Um, I, I went back to, as you were listing those 11 points, um, <clears throat> when you were talking about, planning your life around or events around whether you can drink or not. And I remember Jess, when we had him on the podcast a couple of months ago, he was a dad, and I think he said he would go to his daughter's basketball games. And uh, he would look at his watch as he was at the basketball game and go, am I going to be able to get home in time to drink? And uh, I think there were certain things where he's like, man, I've got a problem. So let me ask you this very simple question, and there might not be a simple answer. But if you wonder, is it true the kind of cliche, if you wonder if you got a drinking problem, then you probably do have a drinking problem.
1: You know, I think if you're thinking about it, then there might be some, there's got to be some part of you that's saying, this isn't working for me some, some way, you know what I mean? Uh, so you might be looking at, yeah, you might have some type of problematic behaviors. Um, it, it really depends on the person and their relation with it, hmm, you know?
0: Yeah. What about if somebody says to you, like, if I say to my, you know, my cousin, like, hey, uh, fictional cousin. I really think you're drinking too much. So if somebody calls you out on it, that's never a good sign.
1: Correct. Yeah. I mean, that would you would that would be a category I would check off if I'm doing an assessment on somebody. Well, yeah, my family's expressed concern for my use. Okay. well, that's an issue. I mean, people who don't have drinking problems, families don't say things like that to them.
0: What about somebody who says, I drink because of you? Let's say you're in a bad marriage and they say, well, the reason I drink is because of you. And you won't stop, you know, like spending all of our money on stupid whatever it is. So I drink because of you. Is it true that alcoholics want to sometimes blame other people when they really can't blame other people?
1: I think that's true for, for anything. Like if we're having a problem with something, it's easier to look outwards. Okay. Like, yeah, and and I believe that some people drink for four reasons, right? Maybe yeah. there was trauma in their life. Um, maybe they're unhappy and depressed. Um, but it's never really somebody's fault that you're drinking.
0: Okay. So would you say it's your fault if you're drinking, or would you not even go as far as to say it's your own fault? It just…
1: Yeah, I don't think anybody goes into drinking thinking I'm going to become an alcoholic. Yeah, I I believe that with drugs, too. I don't think people use drugs and think I'm going to end up having a really bad habit here. See, (laughs) what's
0: interesting, I know that you're expert in drugs, too. And I think it's one of those things. I grew up fearful of drugs. I don't do drugs. I've smoked weed a dozen times in my life. I've hated it every single time. I know some people love weed. I tried cocaine one time when I was 21 years old and I don't remember that it had any effect on me. I just, so I've never been interested in drugs. So I look at people who get addicted to drugs with a little bit of scorn and a little bit of judgment and I'm like, well, you're the one who tried cocaine or you're the one who tried to do meth, but that's not necessarily fair or is it? No, I don't think it is. Um, I think that so if I, if you look at
1: I teach um, a drug education lecture and I talk about drugs and alcohol as these neutral entities, right? Because um, methamphetamine, um, it's used to treat ADHD, amphetamines, right? Okay, yeah. Uh, drugs have benefits and downsides. Alcohol has probably less benefits than other drugs do, right? Okay. If you look at things like heroin or opiates, they're used to treat pain and pain management in hospitals. Okay. You can get heroin in Europe. Uh, in England, they'll prescribe heroin after uh, it'll become in a pill form, but no after kidding. you go wow. to the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but that's what our opiates and opioids are based on our, our okay. heroin and, okay. and those codeine and things like that from the poppy plant. But I think that people's interactions with whatever substance it is is what it is because some people like downers some people like to drink or they like to take benzos which has an alcohol-like effect other people like to take uppers because they like to feel up and awake Um, I think that alcohol is as problematic as all of the other quote-unquote hard
0: drugs interesting even though it's so socially acceptable and you are probably never more than five minutes away from a liquor store to get this problematic drug
1: Correct. I, I think it's, it's regulated and it makes money.
0: So interesting. So let's talk about how people who, and thanks for concentrating more on the alcohol side of this. If they're definitely Andrew, if you want to talk about anything with us on the drug side that relates, please feel free. I want to ask you, okay, I'm at a point where I'm listening to this podcast or I'm listening with my husband and uh, I want to stop. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to say, tonight I'm not having a drink, and then I might make it through tomorrow, the next week, and then 16 days from now, I'm going to break out the vodka, and it didn't work. What's the best way? Here's a broad, impossible question to answer. What's, what's a way to stop now?
1: Yeah, I mean that is really broad. Uh, I want people to know listening to this is that they have options, right? I think a lot of people think, oh, if I get, if I quit drinking, I have to go to AA, sit in these meetings, sit in these rooms, and they're not comfortable with that. And to be honest, AA works for a. a Percentage of people who have substance use disorders and addictions. Okay, They're, it's it's not work. It does not work for everyone, and uh, it's also not something everybody wants to do. Is so, I would say that there's a lot of options out there. Um, there are people who want to cut back on their drinking, but they don't want to quit. So I heard. Uh, I think it was the woman previously before this po- before this one will air. I was listening, and she talked about taking Naltrexone. Correct?
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So there's um there's a method called the Sinclair method. And um I can send you a link after this podcast too. You can go to it. It's called Sinclair Method.org. Now this is something they've used in Europe for quite a while. And it people will take naltrexone before they go out to drink and it will decrease their desire to drink more, right? Okay, it, okay. It, she talked about it like stopping the buzz. Um and some people don't want to quit drinking, so the Sinclair method helps them decrease their use. Okay. Um, And so that's an option for people who aren't ready to maybe quit or don't feel the need to quit. Um, And then some people take naltrexone because it stops them from using altogether. Um, Medication-assisted treatment isn't just for opiates, right? We think of methadone and suboxone, but you can get medication for alcoholism, right? So can you go,
0: do you have to go to, uh, I don't want to cut you off, but before I forget, can you go to your family doctor for it? Or do you have to go to a specialist for um, a drug that helps you stop drinking?
1: You can actually get naltrexone. Um, there's three for alcohol. There's naltrexone, um, a campra, uh, I can't say it, a, ca- uh, a I I'm forgetting what it is right off the top of my head. Um, and then there's anabuse, and anabuse makes you violently ill if you drink on oh, it. You take boy. the pill, and if you drink, you get very sick. Oh, okay. Um A um is you take it three times a day, and then naltrexone you really just take once a day. Or if you're doing that Sinclair method, you take it before you go out to drink have a few drinks and it stops you from excessive drinking. Uh, You can get those from your physicians. Um, It's probably best to work with a specialist in addiction medicine uh, around that stuff, especially if you feel like you have a problem because they understand it a little bit better.
0: As far as a specialist, uh, let's take a little fork in the road here. Um, A specialist in addiction medicine or medication or treatment, would I just Google somebody online? do I say addiction treatment or what do I do? Uh, let's say I'd, I'm I'm going okay, I want to stop drinking I've tried on my own I'm not doing very well. I don't want to go to Betty Ford Hazelden because that sounds really serious. Where do I start if I want to go a uh, treatment or medical route?
1: Yeah, I mean uh, you can certainly, actually talk to your doctor about it and they can recommend people. You can go online and look for um, psychologists who specialize in um, substance use disorders or who specialize in basically drug focused treatment. Um, You can, you know, a lot of people get sober by just going to individual counseling um, and they work with somebody who understands that. Uh, But yeah, you can really Google all of this stuff. Um, You can even go onto psychology today.com and search for uh, basically like specialize like the type of provider you're looking for in your area you can click all these things addiction trauma focused and then it'll give you a list of people who treat those things
0: two questions about that you you, you bring up such good points i always have questions that pop up in my mind what about if i don't i don't have the money a lot I and mean, i think the cliche is i can't quit drugs because i make 14 dollars an hour sweeping floors and i don't have the money to go to counseling How in the world am I ever going to stop? So you think of somebody who's kind of impoverished and they're addicted or somebody who might be addicted to alcohol and they also don't have the money. Is that a challenge and is it sometimes covered by insurance or the state?
1: Yeah, it sometimes is. Um, So I work. As you know, in a prison, I told you that before. So I hope nobody has to come to treatment there because right, that's yes. what, you, what you don't want to be. But um, a lot of like county programs and things like that they offer like Rule Twenty Five assessments and things like that to where you can get into treatment that are covered by, uh, sometimes the county will pay for those types of things. And sometimes your insurance will cover a lot of that as well. Um, there's also methods like there's apps on your phone you can use. I don't really know all of the apps anymore.
0: Um, but I tried one non- called Cutback Coach. And it, it basically, it it just kind of urges you and sends you messages every day. And it was it was somewhat effective. And you know what, I, I got to the end of Cutback Coach or about a couple of months into it. And I realized that it was for people with a much more serious drinking issue than I had. And I don't like to say I have a drinking problem, but I've had an issue where it's like, oh God, am I drinking too much? And then I realized it's like, nah, cut back coaches for people who are really struggling. So, but there are other apps that people might try.
1: Absolutely. There's also websites. I met, uh, I knew a person who got sober by going on uh, a Reddit page for quitting drinking. That's that's how they got sober. No kidding, really? Yeah, they just went to Reddit. They liked checking in with people every day online. And that's that worked for them. They were very successful with that. Is support important, Andrew? It can be, yeah. I mean, I would say many would argue that it's probably the most important aspect. I would say for many, it is important. Um, it's hard to get sober when you don't have people in your corner. It is difficult to do it alone, but not impossible. Just... More difficult. I think a lot of people use because of like they feel disconnected and lack of connection, and uh, having that support is is very helpful. That's why so many people go to AA. It's easy to meet other sober people and people who understand what people are going through.
0: I'll bet. What did I, I wrote down a minute ago? You were talking about um, something that made me think of the word shame. Is it typical to say like, okay, hey, um, my neighbor down the street? She's a great person, but every time we get together, she always gets drunk and she, like, you know, like peed off the back deck and she slugged my husband or whatever. She won't go in because she's ashamed to go in. Is shame a preventative thing for people to seek treatment? They don't want to admit they have a problem. Is that ever an issue? Absolutely.
1: Uh, Shame, embarrassment. Um, which also seems to like kind of increase the cycle of use. Like I feel bad cause I have this using problem. I don't want to get help. So I use more. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, it can be really hard to conquer that. Uh, I think if
0: people have supportive people in their quarter, it's certainly a lot easier. Well, speaking of supportive people, let's say, uh, that my partner has their, we, let's say we drink and they drink too much and then they get, they get drunk and they spill things and break things and whatever. Is there anything that I can do to get my partner to get help? Let's say somebody listening knows their partner has a serious problem. Their partner will not admit it, and their partner has promised to stop, and their partner has done everything from, you know, drove the car into the side of the garage to forget to pick the kids up from gymnastics practice to, uh, you know, a, or break a lamp, whatever, What can somebody in that situation do? Because that I think is a very common thing where your partner or your mom, but let's talk, let's concentrate on adult partners where they won't stop drinking. Is there any moves that are effective or ineffective?
1: Yeah. I mean, ineffective moves are obviously like hiding the alcohol, pouring it out. I really wouldn't do that. Uh, I think that just causes a lot of friction in a relationship. Can you help them? Yeah, I think being supportive is a good start. Um, Having conversations with them. Um, You know, one thing you'll hear a lot in addiction treatments that I'm not sure I've always agreed with, uh, I've always disagreed with it, is that setting boundaries gets people to stop, you know, consequences get people to stop. Sometimes that is true, but I don't ever think you should set a boundary with somebody because you want them to get sober. You should set that boundary with them because you want the behavior like the consequences for you to stop. So if your partner is drinking too much, you should never tell them I'm going to leave you if you don't get sober because you want them to get sober, Um, because if you don't. You know, that just doesn't seem very healthy. I think it's important that you learn to set boundaries for yourself with a person in a relationship because you want to set
0: those boundaries, not because you want them to change. Talk to I me more about that really because because I've known people who've said, I left my husband because he wouldn't stop drinking. And they did, and it, I don't know. I, I think that the husband stopped drinking, but, you, but they did leave and they went into a happier life without an alcoholic, drunken husband. But you're saying – if you love somebody leaving them or threatening to leave them is not the way to go.
1: No, I guess maybe I misspoke there. I, I just don't think you should do it because you want them to get sober. You should okay. do that for yourself.
0: Yeah. So you, and so you don't do it because you want them to get sober. You do it because you want to get away from their issue.
1: Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I do think boundaries are, are effective too, but you should only set them because you want them, want to not because, uh, you believe it'll change them. You know, the hope, the hope is that they will change with the boundary set.
0: I see. So I think, in other words, I if, think what
1: I've seen a lot, sorry to cut you off. That's I think fine. what I've seen a lot is people set boundaries because they want, they hope their loved one will change and then they don't change. And then they don't follow through with that boundary.
0: And then they end up just staying stuck there. Okay. So then, and then if the, it's like a, it's like a spoiled kid, you say, stop teasing the dog, stop teasing the dog, stop teasing the dog. And after a while they realize there's no consequences a very simplified version of saying you quit or I'm going to leave, you quit or I'm going to leave, you quit or I'm gonna, and then nothing happens. Yeah. OK, that
1: happens a lot until the person eventually a lot of people do eventually just leave. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to be with somebody who is using. I mean, it's a it's a tough thing, especially if they're spending your money or if they're not following through with parental duties um, yeah. and you end up picking up the slack. I mean, it's 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 difficult to be with somebody who's
0: drinking. How does alcohol, I mean, there are a million stories, I'm sure. But let's say I'm a spouse, or let's say I'm drinking way too much. In what broad ways does it affect the people around me? Let's say, Or let's say my like 21-year-old son is drinking way too much and living at home. In what broad ways does it affect the rest of the family?
1: Well, it depends on the actions and the behaviors of the person drinking too much. A lot of people, um, I mean, it can get as severe as I've seen people uh, drain their family's bank accounts for, for drinking, yeah, hiding their drinking, and they drain their k- kids' college savings. Um, wow. I've seen people basically stop parenting kids, stop picking them up, stop showing up, missing, missing picking them up from school, um, just basically not being in their lives. Um, and then the other spouse has to pick up all of the slack, so they're doing double duty as a, as a parent. Um, you know, It can cause money issues, obviously, with spending, it can cause intimacy issues because when you drink too much, a lot of times um, it's more difficult to have sex. Sex drive goes down. Yeah. Um, health issues can arise from drinking too. I mean, drinking isn't the healthiest thing for a person. So weight gain, doctor visits, and things like that.
0: So obviously there's so many reasons. It, what What do you feel like? I mean, my, my friend um, Sarah that I had on last week, she's like, she's like, I feel so good. I feel so good. I feel so good. Is that ever an incentive? Is that a motivator to be like, Hey, when you're on the other side of this shit, you're going to feel a whole lot better. Is that a motivator to people?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that, so alcohol is a central nervous system depressant and it also does just, it's a depressant in general, right? If you're depressed and you drink, it's going to make your depression worse. Um, if you're drinking to sleep, like you said earlier, you know, great first three hours, but it's never really a full REM sleep if you're drinking yourself to sleep. Right. Um, and then also like it's a high in calories. I mean, that's not great for you. I mean, people have extreme weight gain from drinking and some people just stop eating and they drink so much they lose weight because all their, their diet is <laughs> alcohol. Um wow. so yeah, I think the, the benefits of quitting, um, from a health perspective are huge. Uh, And I think people feel more energetic and less tired and groggy when they're not drinking.
0: Andrew, you've given us so much valuable information. Uh, If there's, let's say there's somebody listening right now, and I know there are who are like, God, I'm checking out this podcast because I really want to kind of stop, or I want to cut way back from my six glasses of wine every night and 10 on the weekends. I want to cut back and at least make it manageable. There's so many possible first steps, but whether it's a first step or just, you know, encouragement or whatever, what do you want to say to that person who's listening right now who's like, damn, I need to cut back or I want to cut back? What do you want to say?
1: I would tell them that there's options to do this. It's, it's it's you know, right? People fear treatment, right? They think, oh, my God, I got to go to treatment or, oh, my God, I got to go to an AA meeting. That's like the first thing off the bat. And I would say that you have options. And I would say take time to research those options. There's a multitude of like modalities for treatment out there. Hazelden is a type of treatment. Residential treatment is a type of treatment. Um, there's books you can read. There's tons of literature on how to quit drinking. Um, there's sometimes just going to your doctor and talking to them and getting some feedback or starting these medications. So, it's it's nothing to be ashamed of because a lot of people go through it. Yeah. And uh, I would say that you have options. And I think a lot of people fear that, you know, they think here that the only option is treatment immediately. And it's not necessarily the the only option.
0: So thanks again, Andrew. Uh, moments ago I just posted on the Take a Shower, Show Up On Time and Don't Steal Anything Facebook page uh, the eleven criteria for substance abuse disorder. Because as you listen to that, you might have been kind of checking those going, oh, mentally two and mentally four and oh, mentally all 11. I hope not all 11. But hey, if you had a bunch of those or even a couple and you want to go back and check those, go to um, Facebook take a shower, show up on time, and don't steal anything. I have to mention also, the other thing that he mentioned uh, too, and I wrote it down, was um, SinclairMethod.org. And that was another method that he uh, seemed to want to make sure you knew about. And I think one of the things that I took away from this week's uh, episode was there are so many different ways to address an issue with drinking, And one of the things that I got from Andrew was also there's not always a one-size-fits-all answer. You notice that a lot of the time I'd ask him a question, and sometimes he would have a solid answer for it, but other times he'd say kind of one form or another of it depends. So, Andrew, thanks again for your expertise. Talking about you, thanks to everybody who sent me an email. I asked on Facebook last week, I said, hey, If you would like to be on the podcast to share your experience with drinking, send me an email. And I asked on Facebook, and within 15 minutes, I had about 15 emails, and I actually had to take the post down because so many people responded, and I didn't want people to get annoyed that they sent me an email and I had not gotten back to them. So if you sent me an email and I have not gotten back to you, um, uh, please understand I'm going to uh, very likely get back to you and get you on an upcoming podcast. But I think my takeaway from that is, holy buckets, there's a lot of people who are wondering whether they drink too much. And that should reduce your shame factor of the whole thing, because I think that we realize, hey, there's a whole lot of people that wonder if they drink too much and they look a lot like you and me and your neighbor and your cousin Thomas. So uh, if, if it's something that you want to get help with, then of course we encourage you to do so. But if you just want to listen to the podcast for enjoyment, hey, we appreciate that too. It is take a shower, show up on time, and don't steal anything based on the book of the same name. Thanks for listening and have a great week. We'll see you next time.